It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, The Art of Turkey Calling and the Best Birds. But that's your yelp. That's essentially like a, a people saying hi. You have basically fooled the ears of some of the most um, critical judges. And you're on the other side of that curtain, a mere feet away often. And uh, you're fooling them to thinking that you're a turkey. I started this stuff when I was a college kid. You don't get much broker than college. I did that and took off across the country, living out of the back of my truck, sleeping on a cot. As funny as it sounds, turkeys themselves have put me in places that I would have never seen had it not been for turkeys. I've done things in my life that I never thought was obtainable. I mean, it's all due to turkeys. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest is one of the best turkey callers in the world. And what's so interesting to me about turkey calling, it's not just making some sounds, trying to get the attention of the turkey. It's having a conversation with the turkey. It's fascinating. This is Turkey Call Champion Dave Owens. What is the importance of having like a turkey call? Where why do you need this? Where does this come from? Uh well the calling aspect of turkey hunting is is kind of the defining factor. That's what kind of makes it different because we have a communication with our prey. We are able to carry on a conversation, carry on a dialogue. Um what we're essentially trying to do is is enter their flock, convince them that we are one of the flock and convince them to come investigate uh, for one reason or another. So the calling aspect is is what makes it different. It's, it's extremely important because without it, um, turkey hunting would just blend with any other type of spot and stalk or the sit and wait kind of games that you get in with, with often, oftentimes with big game hunting. Um, the calling is very important because it sets it apart and kind of what gives turkey hunting in itself uh, uh, a different feel and I think that's what is the big fascination for most of us that are just obsessed with it that's kind of what gives it that that draw so like when you're doing the call you're not just like hey turkeys come here like you're going back and forth with them it's like any other conversation like the one that we're having here now I mean there's uh, they have a whole you know vocabulary I mean you can get excited you could do subtle stuff um, it's no different than saying 
hey, how you doing, Nick? And hey, Nick, how's it going? Like you just learn over time um, how to uh, the dialects and the different, you know, the excitement levels and what to say. I mean, they have uh, a couple off the top, like a, the most standard turkey sound is a yelp. Um, it's what everything else is kind of developed around and kind of builds off of. You have cutting, which is a, a very excited sound, which typically means aggression or excitement of some level. Um, you have purring, which is can be a contented call, which is what they do when they're just, you know, just kind of uh, subtle talk because, you know, like you would do if you were, you know, in your office chatting with a coworker while you were, you know, doing something else. Um, but that same purring sound can also get aggressive because that's what they do when they're fighting. You know, it's it's almost like when you're fighting and you're grunting and growling and whatever, um, you know, it can be, you know, to that level. So um, as you can quickly probably gather the calling is is a is a big part and it it a lot of layers to it could you give us an example of like those what the calls sound like i got one right here oh uh, this is what i'd use a lot there's a lot of different kind of calls but this is what you call a a, a mouth call or a, a yelper diaphragm call it's essentially an aluminum frame that's below this tape this tape is kind of like uh to explain it it would be kind of like medical tape that you would you know wrap a bandage or something with um, and it's got an aluminum frame in it, and this is latex um, uh, that's stretched between that aluminum frame, and you blow air across it, and you get vibrations off the ends. There's a lot of different cut configurations that you can use to get different sounds, and um, probably the most universal call, you can use the mouth calls to do a little bit of everything, and, um, but there's also pot and peg type calls. There's box calls. I was going to see if I had one of those laying around here, and I don't. Um, but, um, basically it's just different instruments, just like musical instruments. You got horns and guitars and drums. I mean, it's the same thing with turkey calls. You got different things that can kind of make the same sounds, but they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, the mouth calls, you can obviously tell it's very small. You put it in your mouth, you can still hold uh, your firearm or, um, whatever else you may have in your hands, uh, that you may not have available if you were having to run like a box call, which is another instrument you can use during turkey, uh, calling. But I'll demonstrate it, but you caught me off guard here, so let me. Yeah, yeah, like I, I didn't give him a chance to really do something. So like like anything else, you got to loosen it up. It's like a guitar player that's going to, uh, um, you know, strum the strings and, 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 and uh, set tune his guitar and, and everything. Nothing's different with turkey calls, and we're going to try to rush this. But uh, the Yelp that I just, uh, just explained or just kind of hinted to, I don't know how that comes across with the audio on these earbuds in, in the machine here, but that's your Yelp. That's there's essentially like a, a people saying hi or hey or where are you. Um, you can take that to so many different levels. It could be a curiosity deal. It could be a, um, a demanding deal. Um, and it's all going to be with the personality that you want to put behind that hen, the voice that you want to give the hen that you're trying to portray. Um, some more... Um, it's going to be hard to do cutting. It's going to peak the audio, but we can do clucking is, is more or less. It's a, it's a dress up uh, word in the turkey world that you kind of uh, it can be contented. It's kind of one of those things um, that turkeys are going to be doing all the time. And uh, so you do the clucking kind of dresses it up it's almost like a 
uh, I would explain it as, I mean, kind of like an adjective in, in human vocabulary. It's going to help add personality. It's going to help detail the noun that you're trying to explain um, uh, and the point you're trying to get across. Uh, other sounds that we just hinted to are like the purr, which can be very contented. Um, it's the sound that turkeys are going to make when they're congregated and they're feeding. Um, they're just being content. Um, And all these sounds are just made by putting air across this uh, latex and these reeds and vibrations that you make with your throat, with your tongue, and uh, causing those sounds to come across there um, to mimic a turkey. I can't believe, how did people figure this out? Like to me, looking at it from the outside of it, I assumed that like, all right, you make a couple sounds, the turkeys come down and you take them out. I did not realize that that was that in depth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is. Uh, there's turkey calling competitions. We do it competitively. I mean, you are uh, obviously judged by men, so you're not not judged by a turkey per se. Um, but uh, it's all on the uh, realis realism that we can put into turkey calling and how realistic we can be uh, using these devices. Who can sound the best? Um, there is so many layers and so, I mean, you can get so deep on trying to be perfect. Um, just like anything else, you just work and work and work um, and try to polish your sounds to be as realistic as possible. And when it, you know, that's going to uh, obviously be good when you're competing against others. But once you take those talents into the woods, when you're, when you're actually hunting turkeys, the more realistic you can sound, um, the more you're going to be able to uh, obviously mimic what you're trying to trying to replicate in the wild and, and fool more turkeys. But will you like blow a hunt because you messed up a sound, right? Like I had them right where I wanted and then I made the cluck when I should have made the cut and the no. turkeys were gone. <laughs> no, it's not a hard and fast uh, situation like that. Just like we have in human vocabulary. I mean, if you and I are talking and I say a word that's out of place or my voice cracks or I have to get a drink of water because I get cotton mouth, um, same thing happens with turkeys. So it's, I won't say it's impossible, but I will say it's quite difficult if you've got a turkey's attention and you're having a conversation to really just say something out of place. Now, you know, if you flip a read, which is something that we refer to in the turkey calling world like you have these latex reeds that i just talked about and they do have a tendency of one of the tongues flipping backwards and sticking onto itself like so um that just comes out as squeaks i mean as you can it's like popping a guitar string um you obviously can't strum the guitar when the guitar strings are gone um same way so if something like that happens yeah sure you could run one off because it's going to sound like you got something caught in a trap you know it's going to squeal and squall and and um yeah, you could run them off that way. But fortunately, just like with people, turkeys have different voices. They have uh, different enunciations. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility when it comes to creating turkey sounds. But why? So then what are you doing on the other end of it in the sense that like eventually, even if you're making all these great sounds, right? Like doesn't the turkey expect to see another turkey? Absolutely. And you're hunting turkeys, which are hunted by everything. 365 days a year you're hunting the most paranoid um critter out there i mean they are hunted from the air they're hunted from the ground they're hunted all the time um so what you're trying to do is convince them to to trust their 
second most important sense. They live and die by their eyes. That is how they stay safe is their eyesight is incredible. So what you're trying to do is get them to trust their ears enough to second guess their eyesight. Um, that's the whole draw to turkey hunting. You are really trying to put a turkey in a position to where he is so convinced that um, you have convinced him by his ears through auditory um, effects that he almost second guesses his eyesight. You know, um, he's going to uh, put his main line of defense that he has lived with and it has trusted his whole life. And he's kind of going to put that on the shelf because you've convinced him to, uh, to trust his ears. So that's, that's the big draw. That's the big pull to me um, is kind of taking something that has absolutely. And you're hunting turkeys, which are hunted by everything 365 days a year. You're hunting the most paranoid um, critter out there. I mean, they are hunted from the air. They're hunted from the ground. They're hunted all the time. Um, so, lived in the wild, you know, and been hunted by everything and, and, and convincing it to, uh, to that you're one of them. So, so now are you a uh, female Turkey trying to lure a male, male Turkey trying to lure a female, like, or how does that usually typically, I mean, just to be uh, the, the stereotypical thing is, yes, you're a hen, you're a female Turkey. You're trying to replicate like you know, a turkey warning company is it's breeding season. That's why we uh, most often hunt them during the spring. And uh, is yeah, exactly. You're just trying to um, lure the gobbler, which is the male turkey, into uh, into shotgun range or archery range um, by mimicking, you know, his uh, his desire to breed. So, so the the range that you would be looking to try to get them close. I obviously it depends on the the firearm, right? But mm -hmm. like, what's the ideal? I want to get them within. 500 yards. I want to get them within no. five feet. Of <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, the, the standard answer here is going to be typically most people are hunting them with shotguns, which is, you know, more of a shorter range, uh, weapon, um, because turkeys, you typically shoot them in the head and neck area because that's what's most lethal. It's most ethical. And, um, and that's something that's very seldom steel. Um, if you've watched a turkey, their head is always moving because they rely on their eyesight. They're constantly tilting their head to get a better view. They can see like 320 degrees around them. Um, so unless you're directly behind them, they can still see you moving. Um, so we shoot them with shotguns at close range. Uh, typically, that's going to be 40 yards and in, which is kind of that uh, standard. Um, advancements in shot and, and things of that nature may extend that range a little bit. But you will find that in the turkey hunting crowd, there's a lot of ethics that are self-imposed. I mean, there's a lot of us out there in the community that although we may have the ability to take a turkey at extreme ranges or um, something may be quote unquote legal, um, you might get in trouble for it. You're not breaking any laws, but we kind of just put things into place because we want to to play this game that we, we are essentially play and we want to want to self-impose some restrictions so that we can get the most enjoyment out of the, out of the resources possible. You know, that's one thing I think we should jump into fairly quickly, right? Like some people, I grew up in Kansas and my general experience has been, there's very few people who are as good as stewards of the land as hunters are. Um, do you ever get a lot of pushback? Is there a pushback in the hunting community that like, why are you doing this? That kind of thing. 
Um, not in the hunting community. I mean, we 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 know we're we're brothers in arms. I think we're all on the same team, and we understand that that uh, we have to be because we are a minority uh, in, in the human population. I mean, we're hunters make up a fragment of of the population. But what I will say. Um, the wildlife populations that we're all able to enjoy, whether you're a hunter or not, is because of hunters, hunt, hunters and shooters. Um, we're the ones that foot the bill and we're happy to do so. Uh, we have self-imposed taxes that we put into place. Um, you know, we enjoy the populations um, and uh, we're the first ones like right now, for instance, a lot of your turkey populations have seen uh, reintroductions and starting in about 2000, a lot of the areas that turkeys were reintroduced, they basically um, fulfilled all the carrying capacity of the land. So basically their populations were just climbing exponentially there for a while. And now they were starting to see them plateau, maybe even dip a little bit before they plateau, which is pretty standard when you introduce a, a species. Um, and a lot of turkey hunters, um, louder than anybody else is, is, is on the horn saying, hey, you know, our turkey populations aren't what they were 10 years ago. It's time to put some additional regulation into place. It's time to kind of dial back um, to make sure that we have this resource for many generations. Um, hunters are the people that are doing that. Hunters are the people who are excited about making sure that uh, these these animals are here for for years to come. So um, when you go to the competition aspect of it, what makes one call better than another? Like how competitive is that that arena? Uh, it's, it's very competitive. Um, you have different divisions because uh, like the calls that I, were, I was explaining earlier, you have the mouth calls like this, and that's an air operated call. It's an op, you know, obviously operated with air. You have a certain number of calls that are operated through friction, and that's the pot and peg uh, calls that have like a slate surface or a glass surface. And you have a wooden peg um, that you scrape against that surface, and it makes a sound that replicates a turkey, and that's a friction call. Um, so you have a division devoted strictly to friction. You have an open division, which is open to anything. Um, but essentially, regardless of what kind of instrument you're using, the whole idea is to be as realistic as possible. Um, you're judged by a panel of judges who are behind a curtain or under the stage. Um, so they don't know who's calling in most situations and they're judging strictly off what they're listening to and what, what is um, most closely you know, resembles the sounds of a, of a hen turkey. So is it a hard thing to do or is it a hard thing to do well? Making the sounds of a turkey are not a very difficult thing to do. To make the sounds of a turkey that are extremely realistic can be very difficult. I mean, it's like with anything else, you know, we can, you know, with, with a little bit of practice, you can teach a, an eight-year-old to toss a ball up in the air and hit it with a bat. Um, to go to the big leagues and uh, get into the Hall of Fame, takes a considerable amount of uh, practice and effort to become that skilled at that. So um, same way with turkey calling. I mean, as far as picking up a call and uh, and making a sound that can sound somewhat like a turkey and probably fool a turkey, not difficult at all to get on the big stage and, and fool human ears and, you know, consistently fool turkeys. Um, it's considerably more difficult. So, in a, okay, correct me if I'm wrong here. You got second place in the most recent national competition? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of turkey calling competitions across the country. Uh, we're trying to get the popularity of that built back up. It's not quite what it was in the early 90s when the turkey populations were peaking, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, it was popular. Everybody was doing it. Turkey calling competitions uh, got popular. 
Um, and they're coming back. We're seeing a lot more involvement than we used to. But yes, the big one, I guess you would call it the Super Bowl of uh, turkey calling, is the Grand Nationals. It's held at the National Wild Turkey Federation, their national convention in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and they have the big Grand National turkey calling competition. Um, and yes, last year I placed second. And the year prior, I placed second. And then the year prior, I mean, yeah, it's, it's been... It's been a fun little run, but yeah, that's um, the most recent finishes. So putting kind of all humbleness aside, I guess, for you, like, why did you play second in the sense that like, what are you doing that makes you better than other people? But what did the person who won do that like you didn't? Um, It's all, when you get to that stage, um, you have, basically they cut down all the callers in the country down to 13 there's 13 callers that go across the finals stage um just making that stage is a huge accomplishment um basically you're one of the best you have basically fooled the ears of some of the most um critical judges some judges that are behind the curtain that know turkeys that have 20 30 40 50 years of turkey hunting experience so they know what a turkey sounds like and you're on the other side of that curtain a mere feet away often and uh, you're fooling them, them to thinking that you're a turkey. Um, so basically, they scale, uh, they judge you on a scale from one to twenty. Uh, and if they think, if they basically think that there was a turkey on the other side of that curtain, they're going to give you a twenty. If they think you were almost a turkey, but there was a few things in there that, uh, you know, they'll give you eighteen, nineteen. You know, so basically, they're all judged, and there's anywhere from five to seven judges, and they'll total the total the points, and um, they claim the winner. Um, but uh, as far as what I'm doing, it's 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 once you get to that stage, everybody up there is so good and so polished. Um, it's splitting hairs. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, it's really uh, competitive. Um, you always try to do something that's a little bit unique that may uh, perk the ears of the judges um, that maybe the guy next to you is not. Um, and of course, you're just trying to have a clean run. You're not you're trying not to slip and make one of those um unrealistic sounds you try not to flip breeze on your call you try not to let a peg slip on your surface you're trying to be as much a wild turkey as you possibly can so is it more for kind of personal competition reasons or necessarily or is this like something like you can make some money doing this it's hard to make money in this i mean it's it's Definitely out of passion. It's definitely out of an obsession with turkey hunting. Turkey hunting is what got me to wanting to do competition calling because it's going to make you a better turkey hunter. Um, it makes you practice on your call more. It makes you more proficient on your call. And all of that's going to translate into being able to communicate with turkeys better. How often a day or how many hours a day or a week or whatever, like how much will you practice? That's all going to be uh, dependent on the caller themselves. A lot of these guys practice n- a number of hours a day. A lot of folks have jobs that they can practice when they're on the clock, so to speak. I know I got a good friend who operates heavy machinery, and he's up there, and he said he keeps a mouth call in his mouth all the time. He's up there by himself, so he's just you know practicing and getting new sounds and working. For me personally, I practiced quite a bit when I was trying to kind of find my sound and kind of figure out what I wanted to do. But once I have, I have found – um, a lot of practice doesn't exactly do favors for me because I pick up bad habits, um, like Mm. anything else. Um, so, um, 
I don't practice that much now. I don't practice, you know, it's, it's more just making sure I have the right equipment, making sure I have the right call. And because uh, we make a ton of calls because no two calls are the same. You've got to find just that right, you know, everybody has their favorite, you know, everybody has their favorite guitar. If you're, if you're a musician and just like Turkey callers, we have our favorite calls and typically everybody builds their own calls. And, um, so now the practice for me now is usually breaking in new calls and trying to find that, that right call to have on, on game day. So I Googled some stuff, right. And you were described as the best Turkey hunter alive. (laughs) Now it's, 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 pretty subjective considering that you don't keep score at this game, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, that's, you know, that, that I, I never, and I don't think anybody that Turkey hunts and considers themselves a big Turkey hunter would ever like be gunning for that accolade. I don't think anybody will, really wants that title because the guys who really love this stuff, um, I would much rather be known as like a, an ambassador for the sport somebody that wanted to see turkey hunting popular wanted to see turkey hunting done in the right way and wanted to be a uh, a champion for the resource wanted to see that tomorrow there's more turkey hunters than there was i mean turkey hunters and turkeys as there was yesterday so um that's what i'm i hope that when when i'm dead and gone and when the penhody project's uh you know seen its final sunset i hope that people can look back on it and go the guy loved turkeys and he wanted more turkeys and he wanted everybody to enjoy what he enjoyed because as funny as it sounds, turkeys themselves have put me in places that I would have never seen had it not been for turkeys. I've done things in my life that I never thought was obtainable. I mean, it's all due to turkeys. And I just had the fear. I'll just always hear these. You always hear when I retire or one day I'm going to do that. When I retire, I'm going to do this. And I just had a fear much younger hearing horror stories that, man, you don't ever know if that day is going to come. So I've always looked at, you know, um, man, if I could, if I could make, if it was possible, then I was going to try to obtain it. And that's kind of the way I learned early on with this turkey hunting thing that that's what I love to do. That's what I wanted to be good at. And um, I worked and just out of passion. It's not like when I, when you say you worked, it's not like a professional sport where you got to go run wind sprints. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's almost involuntary. Your passion is so strong that you're going to get out there and do it either way. You're going to get out there and do it because you love it. And that's kind of what I've fallen into is just strictly a passion that's caused me to love this stuff as much as I do. And it's, like I said, it's provided me uh, with so much that I just think, man, if there's somebody that never is exposed to this, this could potentially have such a profound effect on them as it just as it did me. But if they're never exposed to it, how would they ever know? Um, so that's why I thought it was a, a really good idea to start um, making it available for folks, you know, um, putting out content that they could find and see how it had affected me and how more fulfilled I am as a person in life just because of wild turkeys and wild things, wild places and getting to, to go. Um, I've traveled to, uh, all 49 States that have a huntable Turkey population. I've hunted turkeys in all 49 States. There's no way I would have ever went to Rhode Island or Delaware or, you know, Nevada. I mean, these places are just, I mean, man, I'm just a guy from Southeast. I'm happy being in the Southeast. You know, I'm, I'm a Georgia, Florida, Alabama. That's, that's kind of where I like to do my thing. But this, uh, attraction to want to experience wild turkeys and, and, uh, 
all over the country has put me in these places and I've seen things and had experiences that, man, I'm just, every time I do, I think there's somebody out there that, that won't ever see this and, you know, exposing them to wild turkeys, maybe they will. So that's, that's my, that's my place. What's a Hawaii is the one state that doesn't, I'm assuming it's gotta be Hawaii, right? No, it's Alaska. Hawaii actually has a lot of turkeys. Really? Absolutely. Yep. How the hell did they get to a Hawaii and not to Alaska? They don't have, well, Alaska, see, turkeys function on a photo period, like the length of day. That's how they know when it's time to breed. That's how they know when it's not, you know, there's the length of day. And if you're aware, Alaska has a point of time where it's daylight all the time and dark all the time. Oh. So turkeys can't deal with that. They, they function off the photo periods. Hawaii's actually got a ton of turkeys because they don't have any natural predators like we do in the continental U.S. You know, they, turkeys have a lot of predators here. Like I mentioned earlier, they're hunted by everything. Everything eats a turkey. Um, but in Hawaii, there's very few. I think they have like a a weasel or something that's a predator, um, and uh, and that's about the only thing. So their turkeys out there are plentiful. Man, those are great. That was a great sentiment that you put before I asked that dumb question about which. which is, <laughs> but that's all I could think of. It's just like, man, which state is it? It had to be Hawaii. Um, but like, do you when you go out there, do you have an overall strategy, or is it just kind of whatever nature gives you? Yeah, I mean, hunting turkeys, whether you're doing it from South Florida to, you know, Washington, I mean, from sea to shining sea, it's pretty similar. You're doing the whole dialogue. It's the whole conversation thing. And you're trying to replicate a hen turkey most of the time and trying to look to fool a turkey into thinking that he's coming up there to, to breed. Um, so all of that's pretty, pretty much the same. It's just the topography, the terrain changes, um, you know, and that's what... Um, makes it attractive to, to, to battle with turkeys across the country because you never know what's around the next corner when you're on unfamiliar ground. And I think that's the, that's the draw to a lot of us that travel to turkey hunt like I do is wanting to experience something familiar in an unfamiliar place. Um, and turkeys gives you the ability to, to do this somewhat on a budget. You know, if you're an elk hunter or even a deer hunter, um, the cost of entry is pretty steep a lot of times. I mean, your tag cost is five, $800, over $1,000 sometimes. The access to property that may have these animals is pretty limited sometimes. Turkeys are pretty affordable. Um, I've kind of prided myself and kind of built a reputation on doing everything on a budget, just trying to be in a, you know, I started this stuff when I was a college kid. You don't get much broker than college kids. You know what I mean? Eating ramen noodles and peanut butter and jelly yeah. sandwiches. I did that and took off across the country, living out of the back of my truck, sleeping on a cot um, and just uh, living out of a cooler. You know, we would take off and the only thing we would have in the whole trip was the cost of tags. You can typically get turkey tags for around 200 bucks or less. And um, you can go out there and hunt and you can live out of the back of your truck, eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and um, have the experiences of a life. And, you know, you have less than a thousand dollars in this thing. And it's hard to find any. It's hard to find that much fun for that that little bit of money. Now, where does turkey hunting rank? Like, okay, this in terms of like, all right, this is the most popular. This is second. Like, where is turkey hunting kind of in the in the pecking order? If I can, um, it's all going to depend on your region. Uh, you know, turkey hunting is not nearly as popular out on the west side. You know, on the west side, it's big game. It's elk, antelope, mule deer, whitetail. Um, you know, mountain lion, you know, that kind of stuff's really uh, big out west. Um, and then across the country, whitetail deer are going to be king. I mean, whitetail deer, just, 
the amount of people that hunt whitetail deer, um, the uh, the amount of money it generates for the states is huge. In the southeast, it's probably still going to be whitetail deer, but in the southeast, turkeys are a very close second. Um, it's almost a religion down here. Turkey hunting is is pretty sacred down here. I mean, we have uh, you'll come down here and you'll find a lot of literature, and and you don't find that as much on whitetails. You know, even though they're as popular, they they generate more license revenue than in turkey hunting um, down here, but you get to looking at the um, just uh, just the the amount of people that put more effort into uh, the game, you know, the the hunting of the turkey, and you'll find people trying to uh, put words to the uh, to the interaction and put words to the um, connection they feel with their with the you know and the challenge that they experience with their uh with the game that they're pursuing and you see a lot of literature around turkeys because i believe people are constantly trying to put a description that that does it justice and i'm not sure anybody ever has but you look at people that are uh, like you know uh colonel tom kelly uh you know gene nunnery you've got some authors out there that have done a really good job of trying and putting a uh, pen to paper to kind of document the feelings and the emotions that this, this stuff evokes and um you don't find that with anything else so the southeast i guess is your short answer is 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 turkeys are as close to second uh on in the pecking order as, as anywhere in the country are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions sure hardest call to do easiest call to do uh, that's all going to be do. It's going to be up to the individual, but, uh, the most difficult call for most people is like, kind of like a cluck and purr. It takes a fluttering of the tongue or a gargling of the throat on a mouth call that, that causes that little bubbly sound. And that's typically harder for people to accomplish. The easiest call, um, it's the easiest and the hardest. And I'll explain what I mean by that. A Yelp is probably the one that people start off with. Typically they'll pick up a box call or a pot call and they can mimic that call well enough easier but in my opinion when it comes to judging a turkey sound it's harder to fool my ears with a turkey yelp like very few people in the country can yelp on a call and me hear it and go that's that's a turkey and it not be a turkey so it's the easiest to kind of come you know to make but it's the most difficult in my opinion to actually be realistic has anyone ever entered an actual turkey into a turkey hall, turkey calling competition? And where do you think the actual turkey would place? If the turkey didn't win, you've got a problem with judges. Um, because no matter how hard we try and how much we practice and, and all the little knickknacks that we gather to try to replicate the sounds, we still have so far to go. I mean, if, if, we still have so far to go. I mean, you can listen to the most accomplished, polished callers in the country, and you can put them beside a wild turkey. And man, we all, we don't even, it's, it's not even close. So um, there's a lot of room for improvement there. So yes, will a wild turkey win? He better or she better. Um, but no, I don't know if anybody's ever done that. It's just going to be hard to get your hands on one and, and make them talk when you want them spoke, you know, speak when they're spoken to. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm always reminded of the thing that Groucho Marx, that famous comedian, took third in a Groucho Marx lookalike competition. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the made me laugh. Um, all right, man. Feet to the fire. You got to pick a state. Best place for hunting. Best place for turkey hunting. 
best place for turkey hunting. Um, it's gotta, it's gotta be hard to beat, uh, Georgia and Alabama, um, because opportunity, uh, or bag limits are, uh, available here. I think you can still kill four in, uh, in Alabama, even though it went through a reduction, you used to be able to kill three in Georgia. They went to a reduction. You can only kill two now, because like I mentioned earlier, hunters are the first ones to start pulling back on the reins when it's necessary. Um, but we have long seasons. Your seasons are, you know, 40 days, 45 days. So the opportunity to get out there for that amount of time, I don't think you can find that anywhere else in the country. Can you do other calls, right? Like, are you good? Could you just go into duck calling and knock it out like a pro? Yeah, well, maybe not like a pro, but uh, yeah, I've been one of those, even when I was young, I was just one of those kids that could hear a sound and replicate it and get pretty doggone close with just a little bit of practice. Um, So um, duck calling, goose calling, uh, elk, even though I've only hunted elk a handful of times, uh, it's a lot of it goes hand in hand with the mouth reads, the diaphragms that you, that you're using turkey calling. Um, But yeah, I've always been one of those guys and and they could just hear something and, and replicate it pretty quickly. Is there a rivalry rivalry between turkey and duck callers? Like I don't who's think kinda... so. No, I don't you... think so. It's such a different, such a different avenue, I guess. I mean, because with duck calling competitions, they're there to um, typically showcase the ability of the call as much as they are the ability of the caller. Um, where with turkey hunting and turkey calling, it's all about, you know being the turkey they're there to replicate the sounds of the intended animal so they're not thinking about the call they're not there to showcase the call they don't care what kind of call it is um so that's kind of two totally different totally different uh deals there best turkey hall to best turkey call to start out with best like second turkey call like the easiest uh the typically you're you when you start out it's going to be with like something like a push pin or a box call, which is a friction type call, typically made out of wood. Um, it's very easy to get a sound out of, um, and with just a little bit of practice and even some instructions off the off the paper that comes with the call, you can usually get something that's going to somewhat replicate a turkey. Um, I quickly encourage, and most people do, they'll pick up a, a mouth diaphragm pretty quickly, just because of the necessity. Like I say, a turkey's live and die with their eyes. So if you can imagine trying to get a turkey into 40 yards or less running something that you have to actually move to make the sounds, can be a conflict. You can't sit there and call to the turkey with him looking at you and making the movements because he's going to know that it's not a real turkey and he's going to flee. So that's why you use the mouth diaphragms that you can, you know, you have your... Um, you have a face mask on, so you have it pulled up to here. So you can still call with a mouth diaphragm in your mouth and the turkey can't see it. So typically that's the second call everybody's going to pick up just due to the necessity of being able to continue to coax the turkey into that close range and him not be able to see any movement. So tell me about the Pinhody Project. When did you start that? What's kind of the mission? Uh, Pinhody Project started in 2018. It was just to produce turkey hunting content. It was to give uh, turkey hunters like myself something that uh, to watch that they could relate to. We all get kind of amped about this time of year when turkey seasons are knocking on the door. Everybody wants to kind of live through somebody else, live vicariously, relive hunts and that kind of thing. And um, with the uh, popularity of like digital media and YouTube and these different streaming platforms, um, we saw the uh, the opportunity to hop in there and, and provide something that we felt like was uh, was uh, tasteful 
and kind of, uh, you know, illustrated how we turkey hunted and uh, just the cool factor of turkey hunting, making it popular again, making people care about turkeys. Um, just saw the, uh, the opportunity to make all of that something. So that's kind of why we hopped in and here we are. White meat or dark meat? Oh man, it's, it's hard to choose. You can't beat uh, turkey breast. Everybody likes turkey breast, right? But yeah. if you uh, know how to prepare turkey legs and thighs, um, they are extremely good. Um, we make turkey tacos and uh, turkey pot pie. We make, uh, we actually had turkey enchiladas night before last. Um, make a lot of stuff with the turkey legs and the dark meat. So it's, it's hard to beat. You shouldn't throw any of it away. I promise you. That's pretty much all the questions I got, man. Is there anything else you think we missed or what's kind man, of coming up know. next for you? Oh, next for me, it's, it's the busy season for me. It's essentially Turkey season. We're planning where we're going this next spring. Uh, I have Turkey content. I still have, um, we typically, I typically Turkey hunt in the neighborhood of 90 to 95 days a year and everything's videoed if i'm awake unfortunately when i signed up for the penhody project i made a promise that i was going to video and document every single thing and um it's kind of what i'm doing now is we produce and i try to get that uh, as much of that content out there real time typically that's only about 15 17 episodes during the spring season because as you can imagine trying to document everything hunt if it's daylight, we're hunting, if we're legally allowed to, and then also having time to edit, which is an extremely strenuous and, and time-consuming process. You can't only do so much of that when you're doing it all at the same time. So we have a ton of footage that after the season is over that we're just sitting on. And all off-season, I am cleaning that footage up, coming out with episodes, so that right here before the season, like I mentioned, when everybody's ramping up and getting excited, wanting to live through uh, lift some hunts from last year. I have a lot of that content available and that's what we're doing now. Um, I had about two months of content that I had to clean up and I've been nose to the grindstone now for gosh, next to two months to get this stuff cleaned up. So we're, we're down to about three weeks left of footage. And so I had to power it down to get on this call with you. So it's, it's busy. <laughs> I want to thank Dave so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, learn more about the Pinhoti Project, we have linked to him on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we've also included his information in the episode description. Real quick, I want to take a second and thank one of the sponsors of this show, BetterHelp. We've all had times where we don't feel like ourselves. What really helps me is either getting outside, doing something active, or talking to somebody. Because when we're at our best, we can really show up and perform at the highest level. Working with a therapist can help get you closer to that best version of you. Because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws at you. I have had a number of people in my life that have gotten therapy, and it has really turned things around. It has helped them out so much in so many ways. It's helpful to get those positive coping skills, set boundaries, empowers you. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp can be a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pointless today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pointless for 10% off your first month. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. What animal do you think that you can mimic the best? Like, what animal sound can you make the best? A cow. Okay, can you do it for us? That's not good at all. Moo? I I don't, I mean, I guess not. Uh, Oh, that was actually quite well. That's a cow. Have you ever seen a cow? Yeah. Or listened to a cow actually moo? Moo. No. <laughs> wow. I'm from Kansas, and I, it was actually a thing that you would have people that would you'd see people driving down the highway. They would stop and like take a picture of a cow like they'd never seen one before. It was incredible for people to see like cows. Uh, <laughs> in Kansas. No, people traveling through. Oh, and they would just stop, yeah. I can't figure out what I want to do with my hat. I don't know, understand. I don't understand why you're dressed like Kristoff from Frozen. I actually really like this sweater. And it is, I don't know, 10 degrees outside, so uh, it, it, it's getting worn. Do you still dress yourself? Yeah. Or are most of your purchases, most, most things either given to you or selected for you. You pick out your own clothes still. Oh, no. Things are selected or given to me. I just decide when to wear them. Hmm. Yeah. That's basically the only responsible clothing responsibilities I still have left is deciding at what point I will wear clothing. What is what is your most um, not wanted to put on item of clothing? Like, are, are, do you not want to put on your socks? Putting on your shirt stinks? Jeans. I hate putting on jeans. I have a pathological hatred of jeans and always have since I was in second grade and my mom forced me to wear a pair of jeans that I didn't want to wear and I have hated wearing jeans ever since. Were Always disliked it. Were they skinny jeans? No, but they were like black acid wash, I think. <laughs> like I just hated them. But that's what I had to wear. I believe I cried at the Olive Garden to get specific about it. <laughs> of course you did. Where? All right, now I'm curious. Is that the the worst public place you've ever shed a tear in? Yeah, crying at the Olive Garden as a child. That would be my most ba- embarrassing, probably, or my most like public meltdown. 
Where would you say is besides just being drunk and you don't remember it? <laughs> where would you say is your greatest public shaming? Oh, where did it happen for you? It's easy for me. I was uh, I don't remember the age. I was a young I was a younger kid, maybe six, seven, eight, or nine. But it was on a t-ball field, and my dad was the coach. And I remember I wasn't doing well pitching, so I started crying on the mound. And he came out to the mound and basically berated me and told me how big of a failure I was and walked me to the dugout and said, I'll never play baseball again. Did you? Yeah, actually. Yep. Oh, then you triumphed over adversity. <laughs> I went to Olive Garden again later on in my life, but I always remember Olive Garden associated with jeans. Listen, and crying n- n- into my breadsticks. No offense to Olive Garden because I know they're a big sponsor of the show. I don't like food that I can go to a restaurant that I can make in my own kitchen, whether it's good enough or not, but that I feel is good enough or as good as like Olive Garden or something like that. I've always felt that Italian food is a dinner only type of food. Even pizza, I don't generally want to eat pizza for lunch unless it's leftover pizza. But I wouldn't ever order a pizza for lunch. I believe firmly that Italian food is a dinner food. It's. I would also say the same with Mexican food, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I, I give you Italian food maybe just because most of it's heavy and carby and you just want to go to sleep after. Uh, but Mexican food, nothing wrong with grabbing some Taco Bell in between work days and going back. Shitting your brains out. The problem is I eat too much of it. Right, any food that I'm going to really go after, I don't want to eat for lunch. <laughs> buffet, lunch buffet. Somebody goes to a lunch buffet, they're calling it a day. <laughs> Man, you know, we haven't had the buffet conversation in a while. I think the last time we talked about it was when COVID was kind of at its peak and we're like, oh man, buffets are over. But I don't think buffets have have come back. I think they may be dead. I think so too. I don't know. You don't see a lot of places that have a buffet. Yeah. Though, looking back on it, buffet food is kind of disgusting. Okay, so is, is really the only animal you can imitate is a cow? That was terrible. What else? Do you have any other animals that you could do like an animal sound? Nay! Meow. Are you just not very good at making sounds in general? I, I mean, I'm like... Or like... All right. <clears throat> all right. Give me a real effort. Give me a I'm, horse, give me a dog, and give me a cow. Give fine. me some real fine. effort here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. <clears throat> here, here goes a horse. Nay. <laughs> it's terrible. It is terrible. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. <clears throat> what else you want to hear? You want to hear, <clears throat> you want to hear a dog? Uh, well, here's a dog. Roof, roof. Roof, roof. Terrible. What's the last terrible. one you wanted to hear? Cat. Come on. You got to be able to do a cat very well. Meow. Oh, my God. It's terrible. It's, it's hard, man. Listen. Meow. That is one thing that I don't think people get enough credit for. If you can make sounds or like a comedian, you know, um, what's that one guy that uh, that was in um, the police? Ac- police Academy. Yeah. Nobody knows what his name is, but. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I think everybody knows him as the guy in Police Academy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not good at making sounds. I just. It's not. There, Michael Winslow. I'm going to say Michael Winslow. That could be completely wrong, but I feel like Winslow is in there somewhere. 
that's a that's a person that was famous for doing something that there was never any like there was never any part two to him. He never had a successor. Like who's the famous guy who can do a lot of sounds right now? There really isn't anybody. Oh, I'm sure they're out there. We just aren't educated enough to know, I'm sure. But not famous, not someone that would be like, oh, yeah, that's the that's the guy who makes all those sounds. Or even people who do impressions. There was the guy, Frank Caliendo, I think oh, yeah. was his name, that did a lot of impressions. Yeah. Those come and go like every 10 years. There's not a lot of people who can do a lot of them. It's hard. Well, I mean, SNL kind of, at least is the American pinnacle, right? I mean, that's kind of where you go if you're top-notch even though pete davidson's been on there for a decade now but oh you know what i was going to ask you how did you take the the bad news this week uh i mean it it wasn't bad i mean it do you know what i'm talking about probably not so what what are you referring to i don't know how you couldn't know this are you the outlaw candle connoisseur i am what was the bad? Then why do you not know that Bed Bath & Beyond is filing for bankruptcy <laughs> and they're going to close down all their stores? What are you going to do when you can't go to Bed Bath & Beyond? It's fine. There there are listen, I, I appreciate them and I still think their their product lineup will still be around. Um maybe just not in brick and mortar stores, but regardless, then we just move on. The outlaw doesn't stop is not he you know he breaks hearts, cashes checks, and breaks necks. You know what I mean? He doesn't stop for one candle. Well, when it comes to candles, that's the kind of lifestyle you have to live. Okay, you ready? Yeah, let's uh, let's give some shout outs. I picked some easy ones here, uh, so let's let's get to them. Uh, all right, Sophia Bazell, uh, Harry Calder, Joel Moore, Michael Zawatch, Robbie Wilson, Grace Barrett. Maddox Bowers. I didn't realize how much I actually liked the name Maddox till I just saw that person's handle. Uh, Grows on you a little bit. Yeah, Solid. Yeah. Uh, 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 Kaysen Hominy, Thomas Darland, and uh, Jonathan Cologne. Or Jonathan Colon. I'm not, not entirely sure, but we're going to... Well, how do you spell it? It's C-O-L-O-N. Well, that's Colon. <laughs> Cologne would be C O. L-O-G-N-E. I, I'm pretty sure his last name is not Colin. There's got to be. It's probably like, what if it's... What? If his name is Colin and he had a stepbrother, would that be a semi-colon? Oh, boy. How old are you? 45, 50? That's a great joke. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. That was brilliant. You Look, I'm not going to be lectured by a guy who's dressed like Kristoff, Okay. As we look towards the future here, I got a couple of bangers for you. Uh, what are you more likely to purchase, you think? A self-driving car or a do-it-itself robot? Do-it-itself what? What's it doing? I mean, whatever. Chores can... Well, couldn't I just have the robot drive the car? So there, See, knocked Jesus out two birds with one stone right there. No, you can't. You That's have to easy. pick one or the other. All right, don't make this... Don't make... Don't be that guy. If, if, it's a, if it's a do-it-yourself robot, why can't I just have it drive the car? Okay, fine. Then I'll ask this question, smartass. Uh, would you trust the robot to drive you? Yeah. I trust. Look, 
whenever there's a thing where it's like, oh, it's handmade. Well, I'd rather not have that. I want something that's made by robots. I trust robots far more than I trust people. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't want something handmade. I want it made by a robot. The robot did it right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm i not saying that the accuracy and precision isn't 100% with robots, because it probably is. But the human error, the human element to things, um, and I go back to baseball, and I know you hate that that sport in general, oh, but God. it's like they want to have robot umpires. Yeah, they should. They, they, they would get the calls correct. But human error is part of life. It's what you know. It's 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 what makes it somewhat exciting sometimes. Yeah, I don't really feel that way when it comes to like cars or things that I'm trusting with my life with. Yeah, well, that's. A th- I'd much rather have it done by something that's going to get it correct. Nah, I'm- look, I get the idea of handmade, and you can have something special, and it's crafted, and all those kind of things. But if it's something that's like not in that situation, I would much rather have it made by a robot. Yeah, I, so yeah, I wouldn't. It's hard to du- to duplicate people, man. We do a lot of stuff that's very difficult. Um, the five second rule. You okay with that? Can it go to ten seconds? If you drop something on the floor, is it automatically ruined? What's your uh, what's your rule of thumb when it comes to to that that five second rule? Depends what the consistency is of the thing, right? And depends on my location. If I'm in my house, the as far as I'm concerned, the five second rule doesn't apply. I'll eat something off the floor the next day. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. As long as it hasn't gone stale, if there's like some popcorn on the floor, I'm like, I'm gonna pick it up and probably eat it. <laughs> if we're in a restaurant setting, I'm okay with it. The thing that I've always found to be a little bit gross is when people put food, like if they're eating a hamburger or a sandwich or something like that, and they put the food down on the tabletop i've always thought that was kind of gross like oh you don't want to do that Hmm. i'm okay with the five second rule i'm actually okay with the five second rule outside more than i am inside i just got a little dirt on it well at least i know what that dirt just is it's just (laughs) dirt most likely but if it's inside like i don't know what kind of cleaners are being mixed on it what kind of person is like walk dog shit across the floor (laughs) i'll take i'll rather eat outside I mean, I'm I'm kind of a, a fir- like a big believer in, you know, uh, say you drop something even on a public bathroom floor, I might eat it. I mean, I I wouldn't. I it all depends to off me. the you can't off the bathroom floor. Yeah, I mean, I I know there's bacteria and I know there's germs, but I mean, think think about the every door handle you touch per day, or the average person, whatever. Uh, maybe not just you, or you go to the grocery store and you touch the cart or, you know, just things like that. How many germs are on that? And then you touch your eyes, you touch your mouth, touch your private parts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, why are you eating in the bathroom in the first place? I'm not. Do you regularly eat into the bathroom? Uh, actually at work, that's, that's where I go on my break. I go to the, to the big stall and I just sit there and eat my lunch. Do you really? No, man. Maybe you wanted some privacy. You got to have some alone time. Get some privacy. Get some work done. Cry a little. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> no, but uh, I've never done that, and I don't think. if you hey, Listen, if you do that, if you're out there listening to this, and that's your escape from your job for a half an hour, 45 minutes a day, is to hang out in the stall, then you do you, man. Or a woman. Will you... 
Will you eat in the bathroom at your house though? Like if you've, will you go into the bathroom with something to eat? Finger food, obviously we're talking about here. I mean, no, but I guess that's just because I don't. Would I? Yes, I would. Hmm. I would eat. I will. I'll generally like, I'm okay with eating while standing up. But if I'm sitting down, I'm probably not eating something. I feel like that's a little bit too mixing stuff. I mean, I, I, I'd eat things off my bathroom floor for sure. Even the next day I do it. Hmm. Good. I agree. I wouldn't eat stuff if it like fell in the corner though. If it's in the corner, I'm probably not going to eat it. it. Needs to be somewhere towards the middle of the floor. I'll eat the corner. I'll eat anything. Uh, all right. Let's see here. Uh, so our four choices this week of things that uh, our listeners voted on. Uh, actually, quite quite a few votes, which is pretty pretty nice. Uh, so Demar Hamlin, that was one of them. Uh, obviously, the Buffalo Bills safety who. Died on the field, had CP. He didn't die. He's alive. You know he's alive, right? He, I looked this up. He was legally dead. His heart stopped. He needed to be resuscitated. And it took them longer than 10 minutes to get his heart back pumping. He was legally dead on a football field. Is that, well, I mean, yeah, okay, but. That's one of those things that if you told a room full of people and like if you wrote that answer on a test, you were like, well, he died on the field. They'd be like, you got that one wrong. Right. I understand that you're technically correct, but you're also wrong. So 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 what do you say then? Well, I mean, what, what would you classify that he had a cardiovascular had to be hospitalized? He was taken to the hospital and criti- he collapsed on the field and was taken to the hospital in critical condition. Or you could say he nearly died. Yeah, well, either way. Right. It's like the it's like the thing with electrocution, right? Like I was electrocuted. No, you weren't. Technically electrocuted. To be electrocuted, you have to die. Yes. But everybody uses it in a different way. As as my for one of my first bosses used to say, it doesn't matter if the car is red. If everybody thinks it's blue, you're the idiot. <laughs> I mean that's not that's yeah, that's not necessarily incorrect. Right. Popular opinion does ultimately win out. It changes the language. It does. You're the one who's wrong, even if you're right. Anyways. Uh, all right. So there's that. Um, uh, another choice was, do you remember, and you probably don't, uh, the, the gif of the kid that was eating Popeyes? He's a little Afri- African-American boy. He's holding a, a big soda. And, you know, someone asked him a question and he just sits there with a really blank stare on his face and he moves his eyes like left to right. It's one of the more famous gifs of all time. Um, I do not remember it. Uh, let me see. Maybe I, I bet I would remember it aside from the Popeyes reference. Well, I mean that's. I mean, I have the internet. Okay. Well, I mean that's kind of what it was. What it was known for was because, like, all right, here it Does is. Get Popeyes. Here it is. Popeyes got some good biscuits there. Uh, oh. Oh yeah, I didn't realize that kid was eating Popeyes. Yes, I just didn't realize he. Had, well, okay, what about him? So about him? he's back in the headlines because he is now a very good college football player. And he's being recruited by, you know, a lot of major schools. And uh, for one, it makes me feel old as hell that that gif is near, almost a decade old. And two, uh, sign the kid, all right? He obviously has a, he has a charisma and, uh, and, and he's made for stardom. So anyways, uh, third, uh, third choice is Prince Harry. Kind of crazy what came out, you know, in the multiple interviews that he's doing now. 
I don't know anything about that, but I know that there is some drama that is unfolding there. It's getting to that that level of drama reminds me of the drama surrounding the film Don't Worry Darling, where even though you had no interest in it mm-hmm. and no interest in that kind of discussion, it's getting to the point now where you're starting to be like, what's happening here? <laughs> right. You're hearing a noise that eventually is becoming, that's going to become so loud and pervasive, you got to go see what it is. Well, and it just it, it. We've talked about this before about the royal family, and it's. I mean, it's only it was only a matter of time before, the current times caught up with the family, and I, I think that's what's happening, uh, with you know Harry and Meghan's exile. Wait a minute. So, who? What team are you on? What side are you on? You on Team <laughs> Harry or Team other guy? Uh, I'm on I, Charles William. Yeah, William. William. Uh, I'm on Team William just because I. I I think it's it's still remarkable, you know, just the tradition that revolves around the royal family. Now, I'm not obviously we're not English citizens or under the monarchy, um, but you know, from an outsider's point of view, it's pretty incredible uh, to me that they've maintained power or whatever you want influence, uh, and now you have the redheaded stepchild who is coming out and saying all these things about how terrible it was, and it's that's fascinating as well. It's always interesting to see, like, well, who's right? Who's telling the truth? Yeah, I mean, whose version of the events is actually the real one, right? Like, is he being a little bit over dramatic and is trying to say sensationalize things? I would say somebody that consistently has really no source of income other than being a royal family member needs to generate some kind of controversy around himself, right? So there's probably a little bit of gamesmanship going on there, but how much of that is really true? Well, I mean, really true. He wrote. We just spent five minutes talking about William and Harry. I know. Uh, all right, and the, so the the thing that the, the topic that actually won uh, is a football topic. Um, it happened last night between the Packers and Lions, uh, getting down towards the end of the game. Uh, Quay Walker, a rookie linebacker for the uh, Green Bay Packers, um, was involved. He's the star of this terrible incident. But essentially, what happened? Detroit Lion player goes down. Trainers are coming out to help him. Uh, Quay Walker's kind of near the, the, the scene. Uh, Detroit Lions trainer tries to get to DeAndre Swift, the hurt lion, and Walker shoves him for no reason. And then another Packer kind of like bows up to the trainer and like, you know, hits him with his chest. And it's like, for one, how dumb are you? And then he's crying as he's getting ejected, even though he's only 21 or 22. But they just had the DeMar Hamlin incident where trainer saved this guy's life. And then less than a week later, you do something like that. Like, he should be gone. I'd ban him for his entire life if I could. I saw this happen, and my reaction as it as someone who's not intimately tied to Detroit and support everything Detroit, no matter what is actually happening, I saw it and was like, that really doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You're insane. I mean— You are gaslighting the shit out of this. First of all, first of all, it's not that big of a shove. Right. Okay. He pushes the person a little bit. Right. But was any who had to be taken to the hospital? I'm, that that's n- n- nobody. <laughs> okay. That it doesn't look like that big of a. It's like okay. I mean, let's move on. You were every, like you were in media for a long time. You're on the sidelines watching the game, reporting whatever, minding your own business. Next, thing you know, someone comes up and shoves you. I mean that's that's ridiculous. 
he the guy kind of came in there a little bit. Oh my right? God. Like the athletic trainer mm-hmm. came in there a little hot, had to be kind of a tough guy. Right. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Okay. I looked at it and was like, all right, he shouldn't have done that, but let's not make this okay. into the biggest incident in the world, right? It's not like he hauled off and just punched the guy in the face. He pushed him. Okay. All right. Right. So so let me let me I can't I I feel like you're just baiting me here, but I'll I'll take the bait. No, I really don't think it was that big of a deal. Like, all right, I get it, kick him out of the game, fine him, suspend him. Like it's but, but even if even if uh you know the push wasn't what you say it is um and I agree I mean the guy could have laid him out right he's a professional football player he's way bigger way stronger whatever it's not the point like the guy didn't even fall down it's not like he even pushed him over he's trying to get to his hurt comrade over there he could have went the up like first of all he came in a little bit hot and heavy listen like mm, Nobody. Okay, this is what I would say. This is why I feel the way that I do. Nobody in that situation needed to handle it the way that they did. I don't. I, I don't know what the trainer did. He was just trying to get to the, the to the pile to get to the player. Look, I'm I'm an unbiased person. You're obviously very biased. I am, and you know what? I'm going to say this, and I, I hope that this infuriates at least one person listening right now, and that is that the Green Bay <laughs> Packers fan base—they're the worst fans. And all the professional sports, except for the New York Yankees fans. See, you're taking it personally. I don't take it personally. I look at the incident on its face value, which looks like one guy kind of pushed the football player out of the way, and the football player kind of pushed him back a little bit. Are you ready for our top five? Can we move on to something important? I guess. Something truly important? I'm not going to be very kind to my top five, though. All right. Well, our top five is the top five birds. We're not getting into the certain subspecies of birds here. We're talking about the overall type of bird, broad categories of bird. I don't want to hear about, like, the northern reticulated woodpecker. Ooh. Sounds pretty sweet. I think I actually just made that up, but it might be a real thing. How's that? Is that a good woodpecker? Not at all. Oh. All right. Uh, Have you ever heard of woodpeckers? like, oh, there you go. They go fast, man. I actually can't. Yeah, you can. You. I can't. I can't. Pretty unmistakable. So. I can't roll my tongue. So. You can't roll your tongue. Nope. I don't know what. What do you mean you can't roll? You your just tongue? rolled your tongue. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. <laughs> no, I can't. Can you curl your tongue? Apparently, it's like a genetic thing. That. Oh God. <laughs> Is that your? Oh. I don't ever want to see another man's tongue. Oh my god! Do you have a huge tongue? <laughs> what are you doing? It's it pretty big, isn't it? You can't do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can do that. <laughs> are, okay. Are we two grown ass <laughs> men curling their tongues at each other right now? This is interesting to see what people can do. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, what's your number five on the list of top five best birds? Uh, I'm gonna go. My number five is a duck. A duck? Yeah, a duck. I understand the... I don't know if duck should be in top five. It's a great word to say. Duck may be like the funniest and best named bird. No. Like everybody likes to say duck. No. But I don't think it's... I'd have a hard time putting it in my top... No, I could put it in my top ten. I'd put it probably like number eight. Ducks uh, made the list for three reasons. You can eat them. 
They're awesome to look at. They're cool. They're fun. And you can have them as pets. There is something slightly enjoyable about a duck. Everybody does like a duck. I'll... Okay, I wouldn't put it in my top five, but I would have to agree that everybody does like a duck yeah, in general. Everybody. Nobody's like, oh, ducks, get them out of here. Even if they piss you off, you're still like, oh, yeah, can't get rid of the ducks, man. You got to have ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, my number five is a crow. That's the only bird that I'm afraid of. Those things might be smarter than us. Like, I'm not entirely sure that one day the crows aren't going to make a plot to take us out. Um, I have, a, yeah, it's out of respect, out of respect that I put a crow at number five. I have a similar bird a little bit higher on my list, so I will refrain until we get up there. Uh, my number four, I have the, uh, the eagle. Mm. If it wasn't America's bird our national bird or whatever that we're supposed to recall it, mm-hmm. our national animal. Is it our national animal or is it just our national bird? I think it's the national animal. I think. Should we know this? I feel like we should. Is it just the national bird or is it our Yeah, it's national animal. Yeah, it's um uh yeah, it's the uh, I don't know. It's the founding fathers made the choice when they selected the bald eagle as the emblem of the nation. It should honestly be if we were going to have what? Would, well, what would you think that our national animal would be if it wasn't a bird? Hmm. Like, okay, no, this is just the bird. But what's the national animal? I mean, the thing is, is America. I mean, I I don't know, right? Because you don't really have one animal that is in every part of the country other than, you know, ants and bees and things like maybe bl- technically an insect. I don't know if an insect is an animal. I don't know the classification there. We should, probably shouldn't get it. Yeah. Here's what I think it should be. And here's what I think we would pick. I think it should probably be the cow. Like that is in some ways a symbol of America. Okay. But I could go with a bear. Uh, like, that's tough enough, right? Like, you can't have a cow as your symbol. But the bear I could go with. Yeah, I mean... Or a bison. I, I think no, the, just a bear. the bison would be good, I think, actually. Bison. But I, I think a bear is more uh, more realistic. Yeah. Because no country would be like... Like, I think that there was some famous person from long ago that wanted to put the turkey up there as, like, the national animal. And they all shot him down. I think it was Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. That would be the same as having the cow. You got to go with like the bear. Um, okay. I mean, eagle just doesn't do a like, all right. Yeah, there it is. It's cool to see one though. There's some bald eagles out here in Seattle. Um, my number four is a hummingbird. Always enjoyable to see a hummingbird. See them in the morning, see them at night. Always good time to see a hummingbird. Meh. You got a meh hummingbird? Yeah, I mean... They don't, you know, once again, they don't do anything for me. I don't really, you know, they don't stick around long enough. They're too little. All they're known You don't for... really get a good look at them. No. I would say that. You don't really get a good look at them very much. Yeah, you don't, which is bullshit. Okay. What's your number three? Uh, a hawk. Ooh. I have, I have hawk as my number three tied with owl. Okay. Well, I, kind of like what you were saying about the crow, 
Hawk is, and we have some of them in the flat. I mean, we both live in residential areas, and there are hawks in my area that will pick things up and murder them in your yard, and all that is left is just a pile of feathers from whatever this hawk destroyed. They're vicious. Yeah, they are vicious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if really, if you think about it, an owl is basically just a, a nighttime hawk. <laughs> Just hunting during the night instead of a hawk that's hunting during the day. Yeah, I, I've never, I've never been a fan of owls. I guess I don't. I guess I, I don't really even understand what they do. Like, like how do they? They're basically a nighttime hawk. They do what the hawk does, except they do it at night, eating small other animals. <laughs> They're cool, man. Like it's kind of a treat to see an owl. You don't see him a lot. It's a very unmistakable. Ooh, can you give me an ant? See if you can do a. See if you can do a hawk or an owl. That's not bad, actually. That's your best one. I appreciate that. That wasn't getting more. He's just. We should should move on. All right. All right. What's your number two? Uh, An ostrich. You. I get it, but I don't get it. I mean, like it's an impressive bird, but like what are you going to do with it? Like it's not pretty to look at. It's not really that cool. I see I I I get what you're saying, but I think ostriches are far more versatile than we give them credit for. Not only are they I I believe they're the fastest land bird. You can also ride them. They're mean as hell, so you know they're going to protect you. Very versatile birds. Can't really domesticate them, though. And, like, do you really want to hang around with an ostrich? I mean, sure. Why not? I'd probably rather hang around an ostrich than a a hawk. Yeah, that's true. I'd much rather have a hawk. No, I'd much rather have an ostrich friend than a hawk. You couldn't trust the hawk. No, no. The ostrich, I feel like, would be more loyal. My number two is a penguin. Okay. Uh, I left the penguin off just because I'm tired of penguins. I'm tired of them. I think that that's a huge amount of bias coming through and that you need the penguin has to be on the top five list. Even if you hate penguins, you have to acknowledge the greatness of penguins. If anything, I would put it, put them as a tie for number five, but they are going no higher than number five. Okay. What's your number one then? It's probably, we, we probably have the same number one because I think there is just one overall bird. Uh, so my number one is the chicken. My number one is the chicken as well. I yes. wondered if you had right. I think when you get down to it, it has to be the chicken. I could give like I think some people might go penguin. Some people would go cardinal or like one of the brightly colored birds, like a toucan. But the chicken has to be. Yeah, I, it has to be the best bird. I mean, it's chicken. N- name me another animal outside of what a cow. That is more why, and I, I probably sound pretty uh, dumb here, uh, but I mean, what other animal gets eaten as much as a chicken? I mean, that alone makes it number one, the number one bird. It has to be chicken, right? Even though it's not a pretty bird, it's not like really a good pet <laughs> or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's old reliable. It's your friend. Yeah, well, so is old yeller. Okay, what's on your honorable mention? Uh, I mean, these, I don't know. 
I, I, I just put these on there because they're favorites of mine. But uh, but uh, let's see. So I have a Blue Jay, um, mm. a Toucan. That's kind of it. I mean, I don't I put Penguin on the list, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm pretty confident in my in my in my top five. You know, like to me, the Blue Jay, the Cardinal, the Robin, all of those kind of similar sized birds. Like, all right, I get it. Cardinal, I think, is the best of those kind of birds. Maybe the Robin next. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of other ones, but they all kind of fit in the same thing. I mean, what are Condor? I mean, uh, pelicans. I think pelicans. I mean, they serve a purpose, right? That's um, got to be the one of the worst birds. Like, who do? You, okay, who's the worst bird for you? Pigeon or seagull? Oof, that's tough, man. Um, I'm gonna go seagull, but only because I've had more run-ins with seagulls and negative experiences. What kind of run-ins have you had with seagulls? Well, at least twice in my life, they have taken food away from me at, you know, one was at, once was at a park and once was at, once was at a theme park. How old were you when you lost food to the seagull? A uh, theme park. I was a teen and, uh, heck, well, I mean, I, I, at the park, I was an adult. I was, that was. How'd they get it? Did they take it right out of your hand? Um, the theme park they did. There was two of them. Uh, at the park, uh, it waited basically till I went up to throw something away in a trash bin, and then it hopped on and stole my hamburger. You can't leave that unattended. It's fucking. It's pathetic. How many, did you get any bites of it, or did they get it before? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had a couple bites, but it was like it was more the principle of the thing of. Mm. Was it good? Yeah, it's uh, a scale of one to ten. How good was the hamburger before you got it stolen by seagulls? It's like a seven. It was a. I don't even remember the name of the place. It was on Lake Eola. Um, oh, I bet that was expensive too. It was. It was. But I was. You're getting a hamburger by the water. You're probably paying. You're probably paying. Do you think you paid as much as twenty dollars? I think that seagull owes you twenty. I seagull's probably dead. So I think I made out in the end. <laughs> Have you ever been defeated by any other animals? Defeated. Um... You were defeated, right? It's okay to be defeated by animals. I've lost some fights to animals. Uh, I mean, outside of a dog, not really. I mean, I got bit. I, you know, I got bit by a snake once, but that wasn't. It's was a little bitty snake. That hurt. Nah, it was a little bitty snake. It was, you know, it's not even a cool story to tell, really. Um, yeah, no, not really. I haven't really had that many run-ins with animals that I can think of. You know, man, I've never had my food stolen by a. A bird. Well, I think you... It's interesting to me for some reason. You need to get on it. I've been it. attacked by a bird. I think you need to get on it, man. I'm going to... Well, i got to put myself in more dangerous situations. Live your life out there. <laughs> okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a review, subscribe, rating, all that stuff. We really appreciate it. It really does help out the show. And let us know what you think are some of the best birds. I know that we said chicken, but after listening to Dave and how impressive of an animal a turkey is, I might have to start creeping that up the list. It's not on my top five yet, but I would say that it's entered my top 10 where it hasn't before. 
But let us know what you think are some of the best birds. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.